Amen. What a sweet time of worship this morning. Hey, if you didn't know it, Jesus is alive this morning, this next Sunday after, uh, after Easter. He is still alive. I was Right before I came up, I was reminded um, in my mind of uh, in Romans chapter 6 where it says, thanks Justin, it says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And this uh, first Sunday after Easter, we can uh, celebrate the fact that Jesus is, is risen um, from the grave. Acts chapter 14, we'll be back in the book of Acts this morning. We'll be here for the next month or so, and then as uh, Mother's Day and, and summer approaches, um, we will uh, let you know where we're headed. But uh, we, we wanted to at least cover chapter 14 before, uh, before the summer um, hits and uh, a couple things as you're flipping there in scripture. Just remind you again, um, out in the uh, the foyer a few Sundays ago, our next point team laid out to us um, some vision that we as a church voted for them uh, to continue exploring how uh, we were going to further develop our campus. And uh, we that night at, at family meeting will remind you, God lays on your heart to give towards that. You can go ahead and and do that. Um, whatever you give, just memo it towards uh, towards the building fund or towards next point. And it will go um, as well um, toward that. Also, in a few weeks, or I guess a month or so, uh, no, two months, my, my calendar's fuzzy this morning, we'll be sending a team to the Dominican Republic. And if God lays on your heart uh, to give towards that trip as well, um, I think what we've been learning in the book of Acts is, is that when we believe the gospel, God creates generosity in our hearts. Amen? We can never outgive God, but what has He given us, especially as we've gone through, uh, through Easter? So both those opportunities are there for you. I do want to uh, impress. On you, one thing as we dive back into Acts this morning, we've been out for three weeks. As we've walked through this over a year and a half, we've tried to summarize the book of Acts in these three eras. Jesus went up, the, the Spirit came down, the church went out. Now those first two arrows are completed actions. Jesus will never ascend again in the way that he did in the book of Acts. He Sat down at the Father's right hand, completed. He'll never die again. He'll never be resurrected again. He is crowned as Lord of all. What happened on Pentecost was unique. The Spirit was given. And now every time someone believes the gospel, what happens? The Spirit of God indwells their heart, and they live the rest of their life indwelt by God. We become God's temple. But this third arrow of going out is a responsibility for every age and generation of the church to pick up. You see, us going out into the world is built off these two truths that Jesus went up and the Spirit came down. And so I would just remind you again this morning that one of our core values here at Crosspoint is we exist to glorify God by committing ourselves to God's truth, God's people, and God's mission. There we go. And what I want to remind you of is as spring is going on and as summer is coming, we need to continually be looking for opportunities corporately, individually, as a small group to engage our community. And I would encourage you in the next few months, ask yourself in your small groups, like, like how can we engage our community? I mean, there's a sportsplex right over here that has thousands of people every week, right? Like, let's get creative. There's there's going to be graduations and, and swimming parties. It may be that you got a pool and you invite you know, somebody's uh, class over. I know that could get crazy, but guess what? Get creative to grill hot dogs and be able to share the gospel. Amen? Like, let's be thinking of ways. One popped up this week. So, Day in the Park's coming up, and there's a 5K that Daniel Sullivan and Blake Remy will crush. Um, and they, they might need people like to... Uh, to, to hand out water along the, uh, the 5K route. As someone who is planning on not running in that, but participating in that, you could probably serve me very well. But no, I think it's a great opportunity. Maybe some of our small groups want to engage our community. Day in the Park's coming up, right? We're on mission. Jesus has gone up, the Spirit has come down, and now we are sent out into the world. And where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 14... We find ourselves right in the first mission trip, right in the thick of the mission trip, the first missionary trip of Paul with his missionary partner, Silas. And as we go back into Acts, let me remind you something. 
This was game-changing for me about four months ago. Heard one of my professors at Southeastern say it this way. The church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. Now let me say that again. The church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. When we go to the scripture, we see long before Acts chapter 2, God was on mission. And what was that mission? God is gathering from all nations a people for himself. We're at the end of the book, what do we find? Before the throne of God, people from where? Every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation. In this time, guess what? We as the church, we are the ones used by God to share the gospel and to bring people to Christ. And so that's why in the book of Acts you see not mission as one of the things involved in the church, but as the church understanding that they're partnering with God in a mission that God has always had. And so if we just only view mission as something that we do during the summer or something that we do when we have a week off or something that we do when we get around to, we will miss the whole point of the Christian life and the existence of the church because we are called to participate in God's mission with Him. And so when we get to Acts chapter 14, what have we found? Justin, I have a laser pointer this morning and it's more fancy. You know, I had to have a map. But just to remind us, because we've been out a few weeks. Remember in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church. Now, this is Antioch of Syria. Remember in Acts chapter 13, they, they're praying and the Holy Spirit says what? I got a job for Barnabas and Saul. Send them out. So what did they do? We found first that they came to Cyprus. You remember um, the, the guy named Bar-Jesus or Elimus. He was opposing Paul and, and Paul was filled with the Spirit and the proconsul believed, right? And so then they came to Perga. They didn't preach the gospel there. Justin walked us through that. That's when John Mark leaves and go back to Jerusalem. But you remember as we were in chapter 13, they go 200 miles. Paul's probably not feeling good. He's trying to get to higher altitude. And so they come to Antioch in Pisidia, right in the heart of what is modern Turkey. Now, where we finished up a few weeks ago, they ran into trouble. They had preached and they, they stayed several Sabbaths in Antioch of, of Pisidia. And the Jews basically get angry and, and there was a, an issue in the city. And so Paul and Barnabas are driven out by these unbelievers. And so what we find this morning, as we're going to read in just a second, they will leave Antioch Pisidia and they will go about 90 miles to this city of Iconium. So that's where we'll be this morning in Acts chapter 14. Let's read the scripture together. Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Now at Iconium, they, that's Paul and Barnabas, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting them signs or granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both, Jew, by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. The title of the message this morning is Faithfulness, Boldness, and Wisdom in Iconium. Faithful, faithfulness, boldness, and wisdom in Iconium. We find here that they left Antioch and Pisidia, and as I said, they went 90 miles southeast to what is now, if you want to Google later, the, the, the city of Konya, Turkey, K-O-N-Y-A. But in ancient times, it was called Iconium. It was located on a plateau that was about 3,300 feet up, surrounded by fertile fields. It was located on a main road called the Sebastian Way. The Sebastian Way connected the city of Ephesus and other major cities to Mesopotamia. This city was, uh, Iconium was, was Hellenized, it was it was, uh, used to be a city-state of the Greeks, 
And then when the Roman Empire came along, it, it was, uh, had Roman influence on it, but they never really, really saluted the empire. They were more about their Greek roots. Jews were there too, and so it's very interesting. Paul and Barnabas come to this city that's a melting pot full of Roman influence and Greek influence, and as we have just read, um, a population of Jewish people. So what happens? Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of people believed. I want you to first see, and we're just going to give headings this morning as the title. We're going to see faithfulness as they were there, boldness as they were there, and wisdom. So the first truth this morning I want you to see is how Paul and Barnabas showed faithfulness in Iconium. New city. What are they going to do? On the way, the 90-mile way, did they like read the, uh, the dummy notes to how to reach Iconium? Did they call up somebody that had been there before? How do we reach this city? Did they you know, just read the latest facts? What, what did they do? Notice, now in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. I want you to see first here, and this is obvious, but it's true though, that Paul and Barnabas went to the next major city. How were they faithful? How were they faithful in Iconium? First, they just went to the next major city. They had just been driven, up, driven out of Antioch and Pisidia. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? The Jews, if you go back in verse 50 of chapter 13, you'll see the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men, and they stirred up persecution, and they drove them out. So Paul and Barnabas are ministers and messengers with no place to give the message. What are we going to do? Well, sometimes you don't have to pray and fast for 180 days. Sometimes you can learn that there's another major city right down the road. Now, let me just state something. In the Scriptures, we're taught to seek the Lord. Amen. In the Scriptures, we're taught to be led by the Lord. Amen. And we should. And we should develop the daily habit of reading God's Word and praying and getting in the habit of asking ourselves a major question. If, if we're facing a decision in life, just ask, have you prayed about it? That's great. But sometimes some people can over-spiritualize everything to the point that they do nothing. And so what happens here in the text is, we got driven out of Antioch and Pisidia. Where are we going to go? Well, let's go up the plateau. Paul seems to like, like the highlands a little bit. Let's go up the plateau and let's go down the road to Iconium. Now, why would he think that? What has he done so far? Every place that he's been, he's engaged the Gentiles, but who is he first engaged? The Jews. And somehow they find out that there's a Jewish population there. And so I just want to bring this to your attention and move on really quick. They went to the next major city. While they may not have had something in the clouds or some moment in prayer that said, do that. We'll find that in the second missionary journey, that, they, that they're trying to go in different places and God won't allow them, and then they have a vision of where to go. But here there's nothing like that. It is just simple. Check this out. Sometimes God allows us to use the common sense that he's given us when we don't know what to do, and so we take the next step in obedience. There's a time for that. There's a place for that. And that's what they do. So they go to the next major city, but I want you to see secondly here that they continued the same strategy. Now at Iconium, they're here. They've made the 90-mile journey southeast. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke. Now where have we seen that before? If you'll go back in your Bible to Acts chapter 13, go one chapter back. Look in verse 4, Acts chapter 13, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God, where? In the synagogues of the Jews. Then their next stop, if you'll go down to verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So when they get to Iconium, what are they doing? Same thing. You see this faithfulness that's built in? We're faithful in Antioch, Pisidia. We got runoff, so what are we going to do? We're going to go to the next town, and what are we going to do? We're going to be faithful. We're going to do what we know to do. Can I just encourage you this morning? If you don't know what you need to do, do what you already know to do. 
Like if you're, if there's like something you're praying for that's like extremely, like it's just like foggy and you don't know what to do, check this out. There are plenty of commands in the scripture that God tells us to do. So, so let's be obedient to what God's already told us to do and trust him to make it clear in his timing of what we need to do. But what do they do? They're convicted that they need to start with the Jews first. And so here they go together to the Jewish synagogue. Now, he's doing some commentary work this week. And here's a couple of reasons why Paul probably went to synagogues first. Okay, So just a couple of reasons. Won't be on the screen. Just listen. First off, it shows us that Paul, even though the Jews were sinning against him, he had not given up hope that they could be saved. Amen, right? Who's driving him out of cities? Who's causing all the problems? Who's, who's saying, get up on out of here? Like, we don't want your message. It's the Jews. And so what does he do? He goes to the next place, and what does he do? He shares the gospel first with the Jews. Encouragement this morning. If you've been praying for somebody, and they're resistant, keep praying for them. You've been sharing the gospel with them? Keep doing it. You've been serving them? Keep doing it. You never know what God's up to, amen? And, and I won't break this down right now, but, but you'll see later on, everywhere that Paul goes, the Jews will attack him and come against him. And if you go and do some New Testament work, you'll find out that in one of these like just conniption fits by the Jews, like throwing down, running Paul off, he writes these words in Romans, I wish I could be a curse for the sake of my brethren. That was his response. So he had not given up on the Jews. And then this was another point that I thought was good. He couldn't reach the Jews if he went to the Gentiles first. So if he rolls up into town and immediately engages Gentiles, the Jews will think what? Unclean, dog, no. And so Paul always engages the Jews first so that he can be able to share the gospel. Here's another reason. There were, as we found in the, the previous few synagogue episodes, that there, there were Gentiles who were proselytes. They weren't Jewish by, by ethnicity, but what? They had placed their, their faith in the God of Israel. And when they heard about the Jewish Messiah, they placed faith in Christ. So here was Paul's hope. I'm going to go. I'm going to preach to the Jews because I believe they can be saved. I'm going to go to them first because if I don't go to them first, they won't listen to anything I have to say. And check this out. Built into their synagogues, there will be Gentiles that will believe, and that will be my bridge into their homes and their jobs, and their communities. So it makes sense why he went to the synagogues first. Can I just encourage you, like, look for the natural bridges that God has placed in your life to get to other people. Like, God orchestrates our life, our classrooms, our jobs, even, like, our interest <laughs> to be able so that there are natural bridges in your life to other people that need to hear the message. And guess what? When it resonates with them, guess what? There's going to be a web that opens up for you to be able to talk to more people. That was Paul's hope. And that's what he did. They continued on the same strategy. But I want you to notice also, they preached the same gospel in the same way. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and underlined this, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, we know one thing about Paul. He ain't changing the gospel. Later on, he would write to these same, this same region in, in the book of Galatians. If anybody preaches to you a gospel other than what was preached to you at the beginning, and that's what he's talking about is Iconium and the cities of Galatia. He's like, let them be condemned. So we know Paul didn't change the gospel. But Luke is, is implying something here. Notice the way in which they spoke caused a great number of people to believe. There's a bunch of different ways to communicate, right? Emotionally, manipulatively, controlling. Paul would tell the Corinthians later on, when I came to you, I didn't preach in fancy words so that your stock wouldn't be in me, but in the power of God. And so what's implied here is that Paul and Barnabas, when they spoke in the synagogues, when they shared the gospel, they did so pleading and depending and praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the whole point. It would be insane for them to roll up into a city and be like, hey, we got a message for y'all, and I'm going to convince you with my logic powers. There's a place for apologetics. 
There's a place for us to, to have logical and reasonable conversations, but that doesn't raise the dead. Only the Spirit of God does. God can use that. And so I see them here doing what? Going to the next city. We don't know where to go, but it's right down the road. And maybe, just maybe, this is where God wants us. They show up. They do the same thing. They don't change anything. And they do it pleading and praying for God to work. And what happens? Jews, here it is. Here's the wisdom. And Greeks believed. His strategy worked. He preached in the synagogue, and Jews believed. And he preached in the synagogue, and Greeks believed. And so now what you're about to see is it's about to get outside the synagogue doors. That's the purpose of the church. The message isn't contained to a building or a place or a location or a time slot. Preach the same gospel in the same way. And for Paul and Barnabas, the word of God, the message of the gospel, was enough in the power of the Spirit to cause people to believe. So they're faithful. Can I just tell you, maybe 95% of the Christian life is faithfulness? Plug in. Just plug in. I'd remind you again that what we've been reading in Acts, particularly the first 10 chapters, was spread out over a long period of time. They didn't wake up on a Tuesday and there was like, like fireworks and smoke and Wednesday was fireworks and smoke and, and the next day was signs and wonders. Sometimes it was just a normal rhythm to life. Gathering, praying, teaching, learning, job, kids, repeat. We've got to remind ourselves of that. Nobody else may see your faithfulness, but God does. God didn't call us to do all these things and to be just 100% and bat 1,000 in the Christian life. God just called us to be faithful. Now, faithfulness implies dependence. It implies obedience. It implies humility. All of that. I get that. But there comes a point, sometimes on a Thursday morning, you roll out of bed, you don't feel like anything, but you still walk with God and do your best to walk with God during the day because He deserves your faithfulness. So they're faithful. <laughs> and what happens? Verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. What a reward for faithfulness. We found out a lot so far in the book of Acts. As one man said one time, the, the apostles in the early church were obedient, and they didn't get prosperity. They got prison, pain, persecution, privation, and probably five other Ps if Justin was up here. He's been working on that lately. The early church was rewarded with conflict and opposition to their faithfulness. So, what happened? Second big truth this morning, not just faithfulness in Iconium, but boldness in Iconium. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. It just means like they, the, the word there in the Greek can, can, can mean awaken. Like, hey, y'all been seeing this uh, Paul dude and this Barnabas dude? Ha have you really considered like what they're doing? Oh, I really hadn't considered that. Man, who are these guys? Uh, well, let me tell you. And it says that they stirred them up, notice, and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. That, the, the word there means to embitter. It means they, what they did was they were lying and, and, and slandering so much that they awakened this opposition by telling lies and causing people's outlook and, and view of Paul and Barnabas to be twisted so much that it created just an embitterment. These guys are going to change our culture. These guys are going to turn us from our gods. If we don't worship the gods, we're not going to get rain. If we don't get rain, our crops are going to spoil. If we don't have crops, we're not going to have anything. And it's all because of these guys. And, and they're, they're doing all that. It's just junk like that. Notice how Luke starts verse 3. Probably your Bible has one of two words. So, <laughs> some of your Bibles may have, Therefore. Now, what's really funny is people who try to be like uber critical of the Bible, there's actually some textual critics that don't like verse 3 because they say verse 3 doesn't make sense in this context, so it must have been added later. Or it must be out of position because verse 3 shouldn't be there. No, if you know anything about the apostles, it makes perfect sense that verse 3 is there. Like, Paul is not about to give up gospel mission because somebody complains and comes against him, right? 
Some people want this text to read, poison their minds against the brothers. Skip verse 3, go to verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. No. Luke says no. What was Paul's reaction? You're going to poison the mind of everybody I've been speaking to. You're going to create bitterness and opposition in the city. So? So? We're going to remain there a long time. (laughs) We're going to speak boldly for the Lord. They responded with boldness. So just to understand what's going on here is that the Jews opposed God's work. And, and that's important for you to see. Because can I just remind you this morning, sometimes the greatest enemies of the gospel are the people that are the most religious. Because the gospel speaks death to self-righteousness. The gospel speaks death to tradition and formality when they are your trust for salvation. The gospel speaks death to I can make myself right with God. Go all the way back in the Bible. After Adam and Eve sin and God redeems them and God covers them. The next chapter they have two sons. One's Abel. He brings the blood of a lamb. The other's Cain. He brings the works of the ground. He brings curse works from a cursed ground and says, God accept it. And God says, no, I won't accept that. And when we look at every system in the world of philosophical thought or religious belief is either one of the two. You trust the best that you can do or you trust the best that God has given his son, Jesus Christ. And it's amazing here that these Jews who knew the scriptures, who knew the prophecies, who were in synagogue every Sunday, fight against the message of good tidings for the Messiah that God has sent for them. And they oppose. They embitter. But Paul and Barnabas respond with boldness. What are you going to do coming against us? We're going to remain for a long time. And it's important for us to see this morning. That opposition should not erase our boldness. It should increase it. Can I just tell you something? The reason why the culture fights against the gospel doesn't prove the culture's right. It proves the gospel's right. The reason that men hate Jesus is not because Jesus is worth hatred. It's because Jesus is right and he's Lord and he's king. And our job is not to to rain on them and tell them how awful and horrible they are. It's to tell them, look. You know why you act that way? Because your heart is in rebellion against God, but God gave his son to change your heart so that your eyes might be open, so you might see Christ not as the enemy to be hated, but the king to serve and love and worship. So they responded with boldness. Their initial opposition didn't scare them away, but emboldened them to share. Now why? You probably know why. How did this mission trip start? It's been on a few different islands and mountain places and cities. All the way back in chapter 13, they're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, I got work for Barnabas and Saul. And so the church sends them out. You know why they could remain there a long time? Two reasons. Because God had sent them there, but the church had sent them there. Can't you imagine at this point that Paul and Barnabas, even though they couldn't get a text or an email... At this point, one night, maybe they were on the brink of discouragement. And you know what? came to their mind that they were believers back in the church at Antioch of Syria. And perhaps at that moment, Simon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, had gathered together a prayer meeting. And they were praying, and they said, Lord, we don't know where they are, but God, would you just please encourage them? Can I just tell you this? When you start thinking about that Jesus at the right hand of the Father prays for you, and the church around the world prays for you, and there's brothers and sisters in your own community praying for you. How could you not be bold? But we struggle with that. But the reason they were bold and emboldened here, they remembered that God had called them to do this. And it's a reminder to us. What's God called you to? Have you been faithful to it? Sometimes your life's like me. I get a good plan, and then I want God to come along and bless it, right? (laughs) Rather than asking God, like, what are you calling me to do that I can? Because if God calls you to do it, he's going to bless it in one way or the other. God calls you to do something, he's going to enable you to do it. My other thought here before we move on about this responding in boldness 
Sometimes we uh, in the United States, particularly in the South, complain about how, how rough we have it. I think maybe 15 or 20 years from now we're going to look back and be like, dude, we had it so easy in the South. We had it so easy in the Bible Belt. I got a friend, he's serving in a, in a, a, a new place of ministry, a tough place of ministry. He's trying to reach students and occasionally on, on Wednesday nights as he's preaching, somebody will curse him out loud many times. You know, there's still like a little enough generic religious respect in the South where maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe it does. Paul, I don't know. No, thankfully. Amen. We got good students here. Y'all don't do that, okay? But, but think about it, how we are in a lot of ways the last refuge of, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, of American Christendom which perhaps needs to be destroyed so people will actually see real Christianity. We don't need prayer in schools. We need the Holy Spirit in hearts. We don't need to legislate morality. Now listen to what I'm saying. So thankful that we just got a report that tens of thousands of babies have been saved in the last year. Praise God. Amen? Amen. That's not what I'm talking about. But our hope is not in laws that pass. We want godly lawmakers. We want people wise. We're supposed to pray for kings who are in power and, and governors to, to govern rightly, that we may live a godly life, a quiet life, because this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. But our ultimate hope is not in that. And for the great majority of Christians around the world, check this out. They live in places where they would never even dream of being in a place like this. And you know what they do? They share the gospel. What's my problem? I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just talking to me. What's my problem? In such an easy climate to share, why don't we? And I think it goes back to this. We don't recognize our call. We're called to share the gospel. Only by grace are you save. But as they preach that, what happened? God started doing some really cool stuff. And I remind you that the word there, signs and wonders, it is in the biblical text. There it is. There it is. And we may not get through it this morning, but, but I just want to talk about this for a minute. Let, let, let's talk about signs and wonders for a minute. Can we? Can we do that? Because I could tell a couple India stories, and y'all look at me like real funky this morning. Let me just, let me just tell one real quick. <clears throat> I was in a house, and this was, uh, this is probably my third trip. It was in the north part of the country, and we were in somebody's house, and they were nominal Christians. And what I mean by that is people who are connected to Christianity remotely but are not born again. And, and we, we know people like that everywhere in, in Jones County. We were sharing, I was, that night I was sharing about the new birth and how we must be born again. And so typically at the end of a, of a house meeting in, uh, in the Eastern Hemisphere, many people will come up and ask for prayer when the service is over. So this, this young girl came up to me, she's college age, probably 18, 19, and she said that, that she couldn't hear out of, out of this ear, it was this ear. And uh, I asked why, and there had been this real loud boom in the proximity, and it had like ruptured her eardrum or something she couldn't hear. She was like, will you pray over me? So at the time, I was like 27, just got out of seminary, kind of one of those that looks strange upon signs and wonders. What do we do with that? But I'm going to pray because she asked me to pray. <laughs> it's, just, it's just me and another Indian brother. So I start praying, and I remember I asked which ear it was, and I just put my left hand on her on this ear, and I started praying, and, um, you know, she kind of closed her eyes like this, and just deep in my spirit, I said, oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let this turn into a Benny Hinn moment. Please don't. I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> and so I just, you know, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, Lord, thank you for this girl. Thank you for what, you know, would you just please heal her ear, you know, Jesus' name, amen. And I probably was saying, Lord, you know, my spirit, I was probably saying, Lord, you can do that, but, you know, I'm from Mississippi, Yeah. I forgot I wasn't in Mississippi, right? So about five minutes later, we're talking, and she like runs up because she'd been doing something. I think she'd been like making some tea. She kind of runs up, and she just like interrupts, which is like cultural no-no. Like you don't do that. 
And she's like, I can hear. And I was like, what is going on? It's like, you can hear? It's like, I can hear. Man, I can't tell this to anybody back home, right? You know what I found that night? That happened, and it really happened because there was a message that those people desperately needed to hear, that organized religion wasn't enough. They needed to be born again. One more, if permitted. I was in uh, an area of, of, of poverty, and we had been going and sharing with these people for some time, and there was a pastor there that would go and would share the gospel with them weekly. And I remember I, I, I had shared uh, about particularly the, the difference in the living God and his character and who he was. And so at the end, we, we got ready to pray. And I, I'm, I'm the only non-Hindi-speaking person there. And so I'm praying in English. And I, I just said, you know, because it's kind of awkward, like, especially when you translate prayer, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Lord Jesus, Prabhu Yeshu. And it's just bad, you know, it's just like, just let me pray. They don't want to understand what I say anyway. So I just, I started praying. And I remember I particularly, John 17, 3 came to my mind. And I started praying that. And I said, God, please let them know that you are the one true living God and that you sent Jesus Christ in the world. And I can remember, like, I got emotional. I started crying. And I just know that, like, they didn't know how to do Christian prayer. So they're just probably, like, staring at me. Who is this big, like, American that's crying? Like, what's wrong with him? Emotionally unstable. Like, what's going on? So, amen. I pray all that. Amen. I, uh, one of the old guys in the community looks up and he starts speaking to the pastor. The pastor speaks to me and he's like, he heard what you prayed. I'm like, yeah, he already prayed. It was mumbo jumbo to him. He's like, no, he understood what you prayed. I said, no, he didn't. He's like, he heard what you prayed. I said, what I pray? He said, you were asking that we could know who God really is. He responded back to me basically how I prayed. And I was like, what is going on? No. What you see in many places of the world right now is that where the gospel has never been proclaimed, God does stuff like that in order to confirm the message. And this is what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 2. Just listen. Hebrews chapter 2. God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let me just, let me just say a few things about signs and wonders, and then we'll move on. I want you to notice that God grants them to confirm the gospel message. They are not an end in themselves. Where signs and wonders are given, it is in this context, in Acts chapter 14, where God is doing something unique, supernatural, unexplainable, so that people can see and hear that this message that's being preached is the truth of God. God's already done this, hadn't he, throughout the book of Acts? Let me just list a couple. Of course, Jesus defied gravity in Acts chapter 1 in the Ascension. Tongues were given and people could hear their native language. It wasn't just crazy talk. It was, actual, it was actual speaking in known languages. In chapter 3, a lame man was raised up. In chapter 4, they prayed and the place was shaken. Ananias and Sapphira fall dead in chapter 5. There's many signs and wonders. The apostles are rescued from jail. That's just in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is incredible. Chapter 6, God increases his word. In chapter 7, Stephen sees into heaven and sees Christ. In chapter 8, Philip does signs and wonders in Samaria. God brings him along at the right time to share the, with the gospel with the eunuch. Saul is converted in chapter 9. Aeneas is paralyzed. He's raised. Dorcas is dead. She's resurrected. Cornelius and his family get saved in chapter 10. Chapter 11, Agabus prophesies in the church. Chapter 12, Peter gets rescued by an angel. Herod's struck dead. Chapter 13, Elimus is blinded, the proconsul believes, and here many signs and wonders are done. God does it for the gospel's sake. Let me mention a couple more things. God grants these for his purposes and glory, never for ours. Anybody who claims signs and wonders and does it where they are the star of the show and not Jesus is a false prophet in two cases. They're a P-R-O-P-H-E-T false prophet, and they're doing it for a false P-R-O-F-I-T prophet. 
So when you're tired of watching SportsCenter at night, because Scott Van Pelt's through like the, the third running of it, and you flip it over to, quote, Christian television, and people are dropping the boom shakalaka on people, check this out. Jesus ain't the center of that, and so go ahead and change the channel. Because where signs and wonders are done biblically and in the world today, they are done to affirm the message that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and Savior and He can save from sin because He is the one who takes away the sin of the world. And what results in that? He gets the glory. He gets the glory. We need to also be aware that sometimes Satan counterfeits signs and wonders. The book of Exodus, Moses and Aaron throw down or Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake and the Egyptian magicians do that too. And what's interesting is they do that a couple times, but then God starts dropping plagues and the magician's like, dude, I can't pull that off. This is very important. We should not seek signs and wonders. Jesus said that a sinful and evil generation does that. And many times what we see people trying to do is seeking the wonder rather than the God who should inspire wonder. We don't seek these things. Now, can I just say this? Let me just get real with this for a minute. Because it's hard sometimes. I'll get an email, and it'll be, let me just, let me just, like, let me just be real here. You, you're probably going to have to go five through seven next week, okay? Because I'm about to have to land a plane. All right. I can give you my notes. All right, so. This is where sometimes I struggle. Because I get emails back. I, get, I got an email back from a partner in, in another country in, in the Eastern Hemisphere. He's like, brother, last week, you know, or a month ago, we sent out our graduates. We trained them in this real crude Bible college. We sent them out, and they went out to preach. And man, like demons are getting cast out, and people are getting healed, and people are getting saved, and they, some of them got beat up. I mean, most of the time when something legit's going on, there's some kind of persecution that follows it too. One of the greatest signs, as we've seen in Acts, that you're preaching the gospel is that people got beef with you and start fighting you. Not because you're being a jerk face, but because the message is striking home. And I read that, and then I know somebody with cancer. Won't you do what you're doing in the Eastern Hemisphere? You ever felt that? Can we just be honest? Somebody dies and in our mind premature. Well, God, why can't we just like like why can't we just do like Dorcas and raise the dead? It's the rub I get when I read a text like this. And I've had people ask me that. Luke, how is it that when you travel overseas, you see all these things? Why don't we see that in America? Let me just speak to it pastorally. I think first, the, the, I, let me just acknowledge the, the lesser and then I'll go to the greater. I think first, there, there are times where he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. That's, that's in the scripture. But we don't need to beat up ourselves that we don't have enough faith if God chooses not to act in the way that we ask him to act. We don't need to beat ourselves up. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He will. We see in a glass dimly, then face to face. So, so I, I do think there can be apathy towards situations. But, but that's way lesser. Can I just speak to the greater? I think there's a sovereign aspect to it. And let me tell you this. Why don't we see signs and wonders? The greatest sign and wonder God can do is to take a sinner who is hell-bound Loving themselves, hating God, and most of the time in America being religious all the while. And God can intervene, and God can say, why do you, why do you kick against the goads? Why are you persecuting me? And they hear the message of the gospel, and for the first time in their life, they realize that they're undone, and they have no hope, and their religion and their morality can never make them right with God. But God in His grace sent His Son, and His Son took on sin, and His Son lived a perfect life, and His Son went to the cross, and His Son bore the punishment, and they fall down on their knees, and they say, God, why would you do that for me? And they surrender, and they submit, and their life is changed. And here's the gospel. The greatest miracle that God can do. It's been said before. I don't claim to quote the, I don't claim the original. This is a quote. God can take an unholy man out of an unholy world. He can make them holy. He can put them back in an unholy world, and he can keep them holy. That's the greatest miracle that God can do. 
That's greater. Because sometimes these people that got miracles in the Scripture, their backs were straight. Remember the, the guy in John 5 that's healed by the bull? Jesus heals him and he's still mad and bitter and sinful. And what does Christ say to him? Christ says, don't quit, quit sinning, something worse will happen to you. And the point there is, you can be physically healed and spiritually lost. That's why the sign of regeneration is the greatest miracle that God could do. These signs and wonders are trying to get people to the greatest sign and wonder. Being saved by the power of God. And so you can see the boldness. And the boldness. we got to stay here. we got to preach. we got to share. Because they need more than signs and wonders. They need the gospel. Let's end here, verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. It's a good place to stop. Because here it is. The message of Christ always divides belief and unbelief. It always does. People were divided. Some were the Jews, the troublemakers. I didn't point this out to you, but back in verse 2, it says the unbelieving Jews. Another form of the Greek there is, is unbelief is, is attached to disobedience. So it's, it's the disobedient. To, to, unbel- or to not believe is to disobey. It's, the command is believe the gospel. The command is believe on Christ. And the unbeliever says, no, I'm going to be disobedient to that command. And what we find here is what Jesus said in John 18, that he can't, or John 3, 18. Those who believe are not condemned. Those who do not believe are condemned already. And then John says this in John 3, 36. He says, whoever does not obey the Son does not have life. For the wrath of God abides on him. But the one who obeys the Son has life. I love the truth of God because it doesn't allow us to remain neutral. And when the gospel's put out there, we are either in the moment actually believing, affirming, submitting, or we're rebelling, turning, mocking, jeering, refusing. Is that you this morning? Can I just tell you? That it is no accident that you are in this community. It's no accident you are inside a building gathered with a local church this morning because God wants you to hear the gospel. Your religion cannot save you. Your morality cannot save you. Your neatness and niceness cannot save you. Only Jesus can. And some of you this morning may be feeling despair, trying to be a little better, trying to do a little more. Can I just tell you this? You don't have to do anymore because Jesus did it all. Surrender to him. Child of God this morning, you may have opposition in your life. You may be wondering, can I continue to be faithful? Keep going. You get pushed out of Antioch, Iconium's right down the road. Set Justin up next week. Leave a little cliffhanger here. They're about to get tossed out of the city. But 20 miles south, there's this town called Lystra. And guess who's in Lystra? This teenager named Timothy. He doesn't know who Paul is. He doesn't know what the gospel is. God's setting it up. God's sending his men out. God has it right on time. Because when you get kicked out of Antioch, God's got a plan in Iconium. And when you get kicked out of Iconium, guess what? Timothy's waiting to hear the gospel in Lystra. Faithfulness. Perhaps your prayer needs to be this morning like Paul prayed in Ephesians 6.19. Pray for me that words may be given to me that I may make known the mystery of the gospel and pray that I may speak it boldly as it ought to be spoke. This is how boldness in our hearts in America gets cut down. Our boldness is put down in death by a thousand cuts of doubt. We doubt how this person will respond. We doubt if this is the right time to share. We doubt what will happen with our future witness if we share right now. We doubt how people will view us. We doubt how it will be awkward if I share here. 
Cross point, if we're going to be gospel people, we've got to share the gospel. We've got to share it boldly. Hold me accountable. Start praying for people in your small group by name, by initial. Pray that you can be bold with them. Let God take care of all the other stuff. Father, we thank you for bold men like Paul and Barnabas, for faithful men like Paul and Barnabas, for men that didn't let backlash silence their lips. God, I do thank you, and Justin will bring it out next week. God, thank you that they did demonstrate wisdom. They weren't bullheaded. Eventually, they did need to leave. But God, when you had them there and you had called them there, they stuck it out. I pray that for my own life and my own heart. Think about the people in my life, Lord, that need the gospel. Their names and face in my mind. God, allow me to continue to be bold. Make me bold where I've not been bold. God, I don't want my boldness to be cut down by a million doubts, and I don't want that for those of us in here too. So God, help us. As Paul prayed, give us the words to share that we may proclaim the gospel boldly as we should. Church, as we sit before the Lord this morning, how has he spoken to your heart? How has he taken the word and applied it to your heart? Perhaps you just need to sit, meditate, pray. Perhaps you need to confess. Perhaps you just need to to praise God or or look to him and ask him to, to do this work in your life. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never been changed by the power of the gospel, We'd love to talk to you this morning. Justin will be at the back. I'll be at the back. Ryan and Paul are around also. We'd love to stay with you even after the service if needed to talk to you about how you can know Jesus. We have other men and women in this place that can talk to you about Christ. Ladies, particularly if you'd like to speak to a lady, we have godly ladies in this place that can counsel and share the truth with you. Just come to us. Let's respond to Jesus this morning because he is so worthy. Let's stand. Let's sing this together. Let's thank God for who he is. Michael, you lead us.